Cup Finals, Overtime Hockey Talk, here to break down games one and two. My name is Mark Paul, Justin Baker, my co-host, and this has been a fantastic start to a series. It feels like for the first time in a little while, we're getting a series that maybe could go seven games. Are, are we getting that vibe? Uh, that's what I'm getting right now. The overtime vibe. and it was. I, I was surprised. It's the first time there was an overtime finals game since 2016. Has it really been that long? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's uh I you just assume that all right, well like once every four games there's an overtime game or something, you know. It's it feels like in the regular season what teams go to overtime 15 to 20 times a year. So, yeah, like one in four. I I don't know the exact math, but it feels right. Uh game 1. I know we're we're a few days past that by now, but uh headed into game 1 both had the Blues ultimately winning this series. Is that yes, we did. Yes, uh, I said in seven. I believe you said in six. Correct. Uh, and I think in game one, they they came out, scored those two goals early, but it never really felt like they had a lead. Anyways, like it was just Boston pouring it on and pouring it on. I think I, I tweeted from our uh, overtime hockey talk at OT Hockey Talk on Twitter, just that. You know, it felt like okay, yeah, they have a two nothing lead, but there is nothing that the Bruins are doing wrong here. I mean, I think they were had sixteen scoring chances to the Blues three, and the Blues just happened to score on two of them. Right. I think second period they they outshot the Blues eighteen to two. Yeah. Um, it, it was clearly a case of you know the Blues took advantage of some mistakes early from Boston, scored a couple goals, and uh, you know. Really, I think it was just them getting their legs back. They were just a little rusty, a little sluggish coming out in the first. And, you know, Boston just weathered the storm early and then got it going. And they took over, I mean, towards the end of that first and never looked back. Yeah, and Bennington looked human. I would say that, surprisingly enough, he has not necessarily been the story for the Blues. Yeah, I would point the finger towards maybe Tarasenko or O'Reilly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really shifted from in the regular season, once they turned things around, I mean, they, they basically, they went to Bennington and they fired their coach and away we go and the Blues, that's, you know, end of the story. They're in the Stanley Cup Finals. Well, it's not the end of the story, but uh, it feels like after maybe that Dallas series, though, it's really been, I mean, he had some rough games against the Sharks and then he has a, a not the greatest game one, he he definitely bounced back in game two, but those two goals that he gave up, they they weren't great in game two. You know, you never like to see a, a five hole goal go in, uh, especially when you're watching on that second goal. He lifts his stick up. That was terrible. Lifts his stick up, and <laughs> and in reality, the spot where his stick went from covering on the ice to in the air was it would have hit him in the pad anyway. So it was, he, he really was making himself smaller by lifting his stick. And, you know, maybe that's something that the Bruins have watched. Maybe he's, he's lifting his stick, uh, yeah, it's at, kinda, at certain times cutting across in the butterfly. Yeah. It's kind of like how Columbus took advantage of Vasilevsky high glove side. They knew he would just keep it down and 
they they exposed it and maybe the same thing for Bingington too yeah. I mean he's been mediocre he's 915 save percentage which is fine I mean he was the second star of the game not that that really I mean, no I don't really think he he, second he was star good of the game, but, but in Boston you know so that's some heavy heavy Boston guys giving him the nod for yeah but good St. Game. Louis man they they played their game and took it to him and I think I heard something that was kind of interesting and I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this so game one, St. Louis, you could tell their game plan shifted from game one to game two, right? Game one, their D, they were trying to do a lot of blue line to blue line stretch passing, whereas game two, they were playing dump and chase and go bang the body around and go get the puck. And a lot of people are saying that they kind of took that blue line to blue line stretch thing from Toronto. From, from the Leafs. Because yeah. it, it, did, it did work. It worked a little bit, yeah. I mean, obviously, they didn't win the series, but it worked for a few games. Yeah. So, yeah. and obviously, St. Louis went back to what they do best, and I think that's how they should continue to play. But. You can't go stretch passes with a guy like Patrick Maroon out on the ice. No, not at all. Right. <laughs> you mean, and, and I'll be honest, like in game one, Maroon was almost invisible. Right. And game two, he was, I mean, every Dropped time he was on the ice. at the bench. This is yeah. great. <laughs> but every time he was out on the ice and, and in the offensive zone, he was, he was creating things. I mean, he's not fast, but he's putting on really timely hits that is forcing the Bruins to make mistakes in their own zone. However, speaking of your own zone, I do have to point out one thing. I've been counting. I I don't know why I started this in game one. I've been counting how many times I have seen the Blues have an opportunity to very clearly exit the zone, whether it be a full dump out and ice the puck or uh, a, a pass out of the zone where it gets intercepted by a Bruins defenseman or forward at the at the blue line. Mm-hmm. I've counted eight so far in this series. Interesting. There was three in the first, like, maybe 25 minutes of the game in game one. Well, <laughs> that's think- where I started counting because I was just, holy smokes, this is the third time that they've turned the puck over at the blue line, and it created a legitimate chance for the Bruins. And, I, I mean, that's, to me... You are just asking for, it. and it happened on the David Perron. He the, back yep. tried to backhand it yep. and failed and it, to clear it out. Yeah, exactly. And and so they, it did come back to bite them. And if they don't stop giving the puck away at the blue line, and I, I think it's something I've noticed throughout these playoffs with the Bruins, they are very good at getting their stick on the puck when the other team is trying to clear the puck. I mean, it's just maybe something that they, you know, they're, they're positioning. Whatever they're doing, it's working. They did it a lot against Toronto. They did it against Columbus. You know, they Carolina. I, I didn't really notice because the series was over so fast. Uh, <laughs> but they they have hemmed. Just when you think the other team's going to get it out, when the Blues are going to get it out, they somehow hold it in, and that is just a recipe for disaster. Watch for that through the rest of the series. See if they maybe they clean it up. Or maybe it results in more turnovers. Man, uh, very good point. Game two, overtime. Carl Gunnarsson in the third period rings one off the pipe. Just it was a it was a heavy shot. I mean, you could you could feel it was it was like the puck came in. It's not too often that it hits the post, and it almost feels like it. It didn't come flying back as fast as you thought it would. It's like the post, it was so hard, the post absorbs the shot <laughs> and then spit it out. Uh, I mean, just an absolute blast. And we, it's not like Carl Gunnarsson is a, 
a big offensive guy anymore. He, he was, I, I think he had some 35 He had a few good seasons, seasons with yeah, the Leafs. Yeah. Uh, then he gets the puck in overtime, and he actually gives the puck away and gets it back on that on the delayed penalty. From your perspective as a goaltender, you you saw you know maybe what what Rask was seeing in that moment. Give me your analysis on on Tuka Rask on the Gunnarsson overtime goal in Game Two. Well, he was screened. I mean, very very well by Ryan O'Reilly. Was it? I think. I think it was uh, O'Reilly. Yeah. yeah, very good screen, but. So you can't completely fault Tuka Rask for that goal at all. And But I think the one thing I will say, watching that play over and over again, Tuka Rask keeps his head down, which a lot of goaltenders will do when they're screened, right? They try to look under the legs, look under the arms to try to find these little spots. But it, it was funny to me because the puck was clearly going, you know, his blocker side and coming over. And as a goaltender, when you're trying to look around a screen, you don't, like remove your face completely from like the right side of Ryan O'Reilly on his blocker side he should have kept his face out watching to see if the puck goes further over towards the glove side post and then transition his face around to try to watch that instead he just kind of kept his face right at Riley's ass and just didn't move it and I'm like uh, he he wasn't even trying to look for it rather it than seemed. trying to extend and go around yeah. he's trying to look underneath and yeah, yeah. So I, maybe that's one thing you could point to and say, okay, Tuka, you should have done that. But at the same time, it was it was a pretty damn good screen. So it was a nice shot. I yeah. mean, we'll we'll it say we'll say it was virtually a power play goal at that point. I mean, they they did Six have, on five. Yeah, they had possession for a second and uh, and they were moving cycling it around pretty well. So uh, well done, St. Louis Blues. You finally won a Stanley Cup playoff game. Yes, zero and twelve before this, which was yes. just crazy to think about. So now. The series is all tied at one. We're going back to St. Louis. This is the first time there's been a, a finals game in St. Louis Saturday in night. 50 years, essentially. It's going to be great. What are your expectations heading into game three? Is this a like the Bruins are going to kind of grab this thing and, and turn it around? Or are the blue like was this the Blues coming out party against the Bruins? Like they kind of had their game. And well, I will say so. I think St. Louis did find a little bit of a formula that works for them against Boston. Um, I, I'm not a huge believer in momentum, but I will say going into St. Louis for the first time at how many years for this Stanley Cup final game, it's it's going to be a party, just like Vegas was the first you know yeah. cup game there. So I think for Boston, they've got to weather the storm a little early. Those first five, ten minutes are going to be are going to be all St. Louis, you know, just running off adrenaline. Um, I I haven't heard a lot of David Pasternak's name outside of how terrible he played in game one. So I'm interested to see. And then game two, I think it was, uh, what was it? Was it Keith Jones on that NBC broadcast that just wouldn't stop ripping Brad <laughs> Marchand? Oh. If it wasn't him, it was somebody else on that broadcast. It was just, ta- oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. It was Mike Milbury. Right, right. Mike okay. Milbury was saying how, like, man, rookies don't even make these mistakes. Because because Marshawn left uh, right on the what, two, the two on yeah, one on yeah, the yeah, he left that was it that Tarasenko or, goal or Shen and went over to yeah, went over yeah he to left Tarasenko. Schwartz and yeah. just tried to yeah pinch which was stupid and I mean yes it's it's stupid yeah okay he should have taken the body he takes he doesn't get the puck and he also just Tarasenko squirts right past him no problem and it it's not like Marshawn doesn't have speed or it, it's not he didn't all of a sudden become dumb. Right, and that's that. It was like 
I mean, I don't, I don't think this is necessarily a fair analysis of his game. I mean, yeah, well, he had a, a rough game maybe, but he doesn't. He's not all of a sudden a, a horrible player. He made a couple mistakes. Okay, fine. It just no, happens. He's to the be in leading this game. point getter in the tournament still. Right. So, I for me though with Boston, I just I'm interested to see if their stars show up a little bit more than they have already. Well, that top line needs to show. I mean, yeah. I would say even Bergeron to a point that he he's only been mildly effective. In the faceoffs, dot, and that's about it. Right. Yeah. Right. So if if Boston can get their top guys going, it'll be interesting to see what they can do. And then same said for St. Louis too. You know, when are we going to see Ryan O'Reilly show up for this? So you know, does he get hot at some point? And you know, Tarasenko now four goals in four games, so he's he's yeah, ripping he's, it up. He is, which is indeed. what they need. We are likely. Well, we know we're about to see Oscar Sundquist. That's my dog, Oscar <laughs> Sundquist get. Suspended. He's going in for an in-person hearing after that hit on Grizzlick. Which is, is garbage to me. I, I honestly thought that well, was garbage. I mean, the penalty I'm cool with, but yeah. the hearing is garbage, if I, you I, want my opinion. I think that if you're giving him that, then you should have probably at least given Tory Krug a penalty for his charge. Exactly. Like, exactly. That, was a, that was a charge, he no got doubt up and, about yeah, it. He was, he was gunning for somebody. Oh, yeah. And What's his face got off the ice and on the bench, so he he targeted somebody else. And so if you're not going to suspend him, why are you sus- suspending Sunquist for a hit that to me, yeah, it was boarding, but like the guy changed direction so quick, you right. can't do anything about it. So why is that suspense? Fortunately for the Blues, I think they can find a way. Yeah, and it, I'm hoping for the Blues too at some point during games three and four, if we get to see at least Vince Dunn come back because yes, yes, and Robert Thomas. Yeah, and Robert I mean, Thomas would be great. I mean, too. it's it's pretty. Remarkable that they won that game without those two guys. Right. Because for me, some of their key depth players. St. Louis has definitely struggled a little bit on the power play, and Vince Dunn is a big factor in that because he he knows how to, you know, cycle the puck very well and shoot from the point. So I'll tell you who who looked like he belonged was Tyler Bozak. Dude, I mean, he looks good. Bozak had a nice, a nice little game for himself. And uh, the, yeah. yeah, he's it's the St. Louis Blues team. This is, I was thinking about it. I want to get your thoughts on this. We've had these teams since, really since Pittsburgh won the cup. You know, Detroit Detroit won the cup in 08. And it was almost like, okay, that's the last of that, like Detroit, that Dallas, Colorado, New Jersey, all, the, all those teams that had won before. That Detroit cup there was kind of the last of that old era. Sure. In comes the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Chicago Blackhawks. The Boston Bruins. L.A. Kings. The L.A. Kings, yeah. which were sort of a throwback to the old way of playing, but they they were the new new team doing it. Uh, and they and then, you know, maybe you toss in a name like the San Jose Sharks have been there throughout this whole, really the last 12 years. They've been quite effective, and they've, they've been to the finals a couple times. But in terms of the teams that have won, it's Boston, Chicago, Pittsburgh, L.A. Pretty much. It's that's it. It's, and it's Washington, but and Washington, yeah. Washington, one year, and and really Washington maybe could have one other cup if they hadn't blown it a couple times yet. <laughs> but Washington has always been, at least in terms of regular season, they might be the best regular season team in the last ten years. They probably got more presidents trophies, tons of presidents than, yeah. trophies. So when you think about that, and you go, okay, Boston, this is this is just another iteration. Yeah, they won. It was it was eight years ago when they last won. They have a they have a different team now, but. A lot of those core pieces, Bergeron's still there. Chara's there. I mean, your Pasternak's new Marshawn wasn't the same Marshawn, right? Yeah, he's much better now. But right. I mean, this this team has a lot of those familiar pieces. When you look at the Blues, 
this is just a I, I, I don't remember if they win the cup they really are going to be the like the odd team out you know we're going to look at this team like the 2006 Carolina Hurricanes like how the f- oh what right <laughs> what <laughs> Cam Ward won getting a cup? the right matchups at the right time yes, and yes yeah. it's it's a very they're a strange team because on the one hand I think we thought that they could maybe do this in years past and I mean even at the beginning of the season if you said oh this St. Louis Blues team is going to make the finals you'd go really okay I could like I can see it's it. possible yeah it's possible yeah they get the right the right matchups and and they get good goaltending and you you probably think at the beginning of the year that that means that Jake Allen figured it out right because I mean we've seen Jake Allen steal a series before sure so yeah sure. now he's really good at opening the door <laughs> closing it holding the clipboard opening it again and you know <laughs> invariably closing wow. it uh no, they don't, they don't do that. Let's anymore. spend the next half an hour ripping on Jake Allen. Well, I actually, I, I think I just heard he he just opened the door. <laughs> there, he closed it. Wait, yeah, there you go. Okay, uh, moving on. So, yeah. Anyways, I just this Blues team is a is a strange one and really an anomaly, I think, in terms of the teams that we've seen come before. Perhaps this Blues team wins, and suddenly we're going to see a whole new wave of teams. Because if you think. Uh, I mean, it's not beyond the realm of possibility to think that Boston could be back here next year. But really, you, I mean, you got to think Tampa Bay, Toronto. There, there's some, there's some heavy. Washington even could come back in into the mix. I mean, it's they were tired. I wouldn't surprise me if uh, if they were able to get back into. It. I think Colorado's going to start throwing themselves in the mix soon. They're going to be good. I think we're about yeah. to see a different wave of teams, and either the Bruins win the Cup here, and it's. That Detroit win in, in 2008, it's the last of that era of teams. Or this Blues team wins, and maybe we, you know, then suddenly we look and we go, all right, this is the new, like, this is kind of your last year of, I mean, or just kind of a random team takes it, and then we go, here comes your Colorados, your Tampa, your Toronto, uh, even even a team like Dallas Who's who's really moving up the food chain, and there's there's going to be some I think some swaps here, uh, where we're going to see some teams that we've always grown to expect them to be very good, and they may not make it to the finals for a while. So yeah, that would be interesting. Just a thought. Uh, your prediction for Game Three, St. Louis. St. Louis th- takes yeah. Game Three. I think maybe four to two, something like that. Again, I, I, I'll be honest. I'm just. Overtime all the way. Give me that overtime. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't mind it to be like four to four going in overtime. Or Dude, okay. Or if there's only going to be four goals, can we just kind of spread them out throughout the game? Although I will right. say that you know for for what, what was it? It was basically like forty five minutes of scoreless game. It was a fantastic game. Oh, that sure. g- game two is one of the best games that I've seen in these playoffs. I think it was it was thrilling. It was fun to watch. I will uh, give you that. The, the Bruins need to get more shots on goal. They only had 23 shots on goal. Yeah, not that. That's, and that's another reason why I was kind of shaking my head when, you know, Bingington's second star. I'm like, what? I mean, he, he did make some good saves, but I'm like. 21 of them. After those first two goals and you, yeah. you still want to give it to him? I'm I mean, like, what? Legitimately, he made like seven saves per period. Not even seven saves per period because he probably he right. had to stop something in overtime. I'd rather give the second start of the goal post behind Tuka Rask. <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> there you go. Beauty. Uh, okay, well, let's. That's that's game three. That's game three. I, I, I'm gonna say that that St. Louis uh, 
and the Bruins go to overtime. That's all I'll get. All right. And then I'll tweet out my pick for the overtime goals. Dude, winner. Uh, let's go to Wallet Hub. No, not a new sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> it totally sounded like they... They might be. Uh, I guess they do something with uh, with credit cards. No freaking idea why they're doing a an article on 2019's best cities for hockey fans. But they have a list. And number one on the list for NHL franchises in the U.S., I should say, is Detroit. That's, That's pretty, our city. Pretty sweet brag. Uh Number one overall is Boston. The way they did this was they have the NHL rank and an NCAA rank, and that determines where you fall. Uh, There's some other factors in there, too, but, I mean, for the most part, those are the two biggest ones. Boston, third best NHL rank and the top NCAA rank. I don't think there's any doubting it there. Although one thing I was thinking was, okay, Detroit, we're really not like – what about Michigan? What about Michigan State? But I guess those they're they're putting Ann Arbor in its own city. They're not counting Lansing towards it. They're not going to include a, a city like Flint, even though it's really it's an hour outside of Detroit. I, I don't know. It's I guess uh, we can split hairs all we want. But if if you had to say let's let's pull this away and go uh, state by state. Your top three hockey states. Ooh. In the U.S. In the U.S. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably there, put... There aren't m- states in Canada. Minnesota... Oh, I know. Territories. Thank you. <laughs> I'd probably take Minnesota, number one. Throw in Michigan at number two. And then... After that, I might go... Honestly, I might throw in California at number three. Ooh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Over Boston? Know. Over Massachusetts? It's small. Great. Yeah, I don't know. That's number three would be tough, but yeah, I think that I would probably, I, I I would give Detroit the nod and say Detroit is the top hockey city. I well, Michigan is the top hockey state. I mean, if you think about all the great college hockey going on in the in the UP, and you come down, you've got teams in, in Michigan State and Michigan and, and I love having the USA development right yeah, here in the it's, USA development yep, that's I mean that's just down the road from us uh, and then of course you have the Detroit Red Wings you also have the Grand Rapids Griffins uh, that's some solid hockey all within you know uh, well granted you can't go to Houghton Michigan in right. just a couple hours <laughs> that's that's about eight hours away but uh, it's, a, it's a big place I would give Boston probably number two and then and then uh, Minnesota, I would go number three. Their high school stuff's great. I, their NHL team, I don't know. It, it's it's almost like the NHL is third or fourth <laughs> to the other college programs in the area. And so that that kind of in a, in a in a way turns me off of Minnesota a little bit. But uh, just a little fun list. If you want to find that, go to uh, WalletHub.com and search for best cities for hockey fans. Uh, we had some thoughts on Phil Kessel. He denied a trade to the Minnesota Wild. And uh, we don't know what the trade was. I don't think that I haven't seen anything about it. We thought maybe Zucker at one point, but no idea who it was. Kessel obviously not willing to go there. Which is weird, too, because that's that's where he played college hockey. Yeah. So you'd think, okay, he's familiar well, with he's the place. He's probably like, holy crap, it's cold as balls there. I don't want to go well, there. Maybe that might be it too, you know, but. 
I mean, Phil Kessel to me, trade him to Florida. Dude, I... He'd go to Florida. It's a guarantee. Would he, though? Oh, so he, yeah. he's got a list of eight teams that he can put on there that he wants to go to. And I'm assuming that probably of those eight teams, seven of them are legit contenders. Get rid of Mike Hoffman. Bring in Phil Kessel. Done. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, although I will say, uh, gosh, who is it? Um, Rick Tockett. Where he's in Arizona right now. Arizona, yeah. Uh, he has a great relationship with Rick Tockett, and he's he basically came out, I think, in one interview and said Rick Tockett is the greatest assistant coach ever. So would he consider putting Arizona on that list? And if you're Arizona, uh, would you even want him? I would say yes. Oh yeah, but yeah, oh, yeah. compared to what Especially they got now, if he's willing to, like, to me, if somebody's willing to go and play in Arizona, God bless him. God bless him. <laughs> I, I, they now they they have they did turn things around this year. They could be a decent team next year, maybe make the playoffs, uh, but it still is not exactly your hockey hotbed. Right. You go from Toronto, probably the hottest of the hotbeds, to Pittsburgh, pretty darn high up there, especially yeah, in terms of the U.S. markets, and then Arizona, which I feel like Phil Kessel might do really well in a place where nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> or where he is like the guy, right? The celebrity. Toronto probably wasn't he wasn't the guy right not the celebrity there you would have to probably say yeah, um, yeah. I mean he was one of the stars but yeah, Pittsburgh right it's all good <laughs> when you go to Pittsburgh right it's all Crosby all the time and Malkin a slice of him on the side and that's it I also wondered if he would be willing to go to St. Louis to go be with Tyler Bozak because you know they were roommate like they love each other they're like best friends yeah but they don't have the, they don't have the cap space to do it at this point well, you so, know, they could trade somebody. I'm sure they could. You'd probably trade Tyler Bozak. <laughs> or the Penguins could eat some of his salary. And, you know, Phil Kessel could be, be being paid by, like, five different teams. Well, I, regardless, wherever Kessel goes, unless it's to, like, a bottom feeder team like Ottawa or Arizona that have a lot of cap space, they're taking – Pittsburgh's going to take some cap back. Yeah, so. yeah, maybe. It's only $6 million. Yeah. Because Toronto true. has two of it. That's right. Uh Apparently, the Wild are turning to William Nylander and the Leafs. Uh, Nylander is due a pretty fatty bonus. A fatty on bonus. On July 1st. Yes, a fatty bonus. Uh, is there any chance that the Leafs trade William Nylander? No, I, I, I'm with you on this one. I, I don't think so. Uh, I think there's a slight, a slight chance that they might. I would maybe give it a 3% chance. And I only say that because, to me, it comes down to Kadri, right? And when I say Kadri, it's like how much do they value that third line center position? Because, um, you know, I the the Leafs are going to be up against the cap here pretty soon with a bunch of new guys getting contracts, and we're probably going to talk a little bit about Mitch Marner's contract situation, right? So whatever plays out there, you know, you got to get. They're probably going to have to get rid of some cap space somewhere. Now, are they looking at maybe Kadri because they can probably get a decent return for a former thirty goal scorer? Who's only getting four-ish million well, dollars? We know, actually, just I think it was Elliot Friedman today tweeted out that the Leafs and Zaitsev are working together to find a place for him. Oh, a fresh start. He wants fresh start. Leafs would like to shed him. Oh, their himself. salary, yeah, coming off a four and a half million or yeah. four, four, four-ish, four point one or something like that. Uh, yeah, he would. I mean, that that certainly alleviates. I think that what it does is in reality i think it probably if you're able to actually deal him in in time it's probably giving you enough money to be able to 4.5 gardner oh now there's a thought right. too. four point four point five you think well gardner gardner coming off the books he was making 
five something five maybe it's it exactly yeah. five and i think gardner's probably going to get around that six ish million dollar range uh so. sorry yeah gardner was making a cat he had a cap hit of four zero five so you think gardner probably looking for like five six i would say six given the and, market and i right think now. i think if he's if he wants to play in toronto he will probably need to take five Five times five, and that's not that's not out of the realm as as a possibility. And I think that's probably what he's worth. But I think as a free agent, given the lack of quality defenseman not named Eric Carlson, he could easily get six. So again, it goes to your point: Does he want to stay in Toronto and help continue build this thing that he's been building with you know Morgan Riley on the back end for so long, and you know see this thing through? But that that'd be interesting to see. And getting rid of Zaitsev's contract would create the I think the necessary cap space that they would need to to get Gardner locked up. Right. There's your four and a half. Right now they only have eight point. They essentially have just under nine million in cap space, and you can go ten percent over the cap right now. So we'll say they have eighteen million, but then they have to figure out a way to get down. So <laughs> I mean, you also have to re-sign Janssen and uh, and Kasperi Kapanen. Yeah, Mitchell Marner. It's going to be an interesting. I mean, it's Patrick Marlowe. Like, you got to look at that. Man, it's... Well, does that number also include Nathan Horton's money coming off the books when you uh, put him on LTIR, that's a good point. too? So. That's, that's a really good There's point. There's another 5 That mil. actually doesn't include that. So, okay, you're right. All right, so we've got an extra $5 million to work with. Uh, so, that, that man, I, I mean, I feel terrible for the guy, what happened to him, all those concussions, but good on you for still making $5.3 million. Fuck but you, you got to think long term too, because guys like you know Travis Dermott are going to need new contracts. Sure, um, sure. You know uh, who else too on Toronto? Yeah, I mean there, there'll be other guys that are coming up, and um, and and that also is where you know they they've signed a couple guys from Russia. I I know that their hope is that at least one Rasmus Sandin or Timothy Lilligren is able to come up and be on the blue line, or if not both. Uh, but they do have. I, I their their pipeline is pretty decent, and also Jeremy Bracco has been tearing up the AHL. Uh, I think that he's poised to come in and be on, whether it be Matthews' wing, Kadri's wing, or or Tavares's wing. He's he's poised to be able to come in and score 20, 25 goals, I think, in his rookie season. Like he's that good. He I mean he's twenty two years old, so he's gotten four years. In the American Hockey League, to where he's really been able to develop, and he's, he's developing into a nice, a nice score. Seventy nine points in seventy three games, I think, at the AHL and, level. And in the AHL, that's that's, that's pretty fantastic. Good. Yeah, you don't see guys with point per game in the AHL very often. So, I, yeah, the, I think there's there's some good players coming. Uh, not to mention, you know, Ian Scott won the goaltender of the year in the, in the what was it that is that the Q QMJHL. Quebec major juniors. Yeah. So they, they do have some guys coming. It'll just be, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, I, I think somebody's got to move. Uh, obviously, like, I mean, you can bring back a guy like Ron Hainsey at $1 million and you're totally fine. Uh, he, he may be back simply because what else do you do? It's almost like he's the new Roman Polak for the Leafs. Like, <laughs> fine, bring him back, sign him. Do like if, a, if I'm, Dubis, I don't bring him back just because I know Babcock's going to try to play him 25 minutes a night, and I want to get some of these younger guys in there myself. 
Yeah. If it was me. Yeah. So at the same time, though, you you do want it like you know who you're getting. Right. And I also it's think dependable for sure. Babcock's got to go. I mean, if he gets these nice new pieces in Sandin and and Lilligren, one of the two, and he's told these guys need need to develop, and so you know, Hainsey, that's great. I mean, maybe one of them plays with Hainsey on the third pairing. We'll see. We we shall indeed see. It's going to be a an interesting off season for the Leafs. I I mean, can you move Patrick Marlowe? That is the question. Would I mean no? Is he willing to go anywhere? There's just I don't know if it's so much if he's not willing to get like what's his no movement clause? Is it a full no movement? Can't go anywhere? Yep. Okay. Yeah. I if I'm Patrick Marlowe, you're at the end of your career, right? And you have a chance with Toronto to be a cup contender. And and honestly, most of I mean, I would say if you're Toronto and you you can move him if you have teams willing to take him, they're not going to want to take more than half a salary. So are you willing to eat half the salary to move him and give up more pieces probably? Because you know that's all this is for Toronto when they want to move him, right? They call up teams and be like, hey, we want to move Marlowe. Oh, quote, unquote, it's a salary dump. So Well, sure, it's a salary dump, but at the same time, a lesser team is getting a player that could play in their top nine. Sure. Yeah, he can play top nine still, for sure. But are you willing to take on that salary for a year? Right. I don't know. Right. And I, I think ultimately he just he'll he should hopefully find his way down to the fourth line as the season <laughs> goes on, but we'll we'll see. Uh, I think I think that's all we've got for this show. We're uh, we are rapidly approaching the NHL draft. The draft is in like four less than four weeks. Yeah. Can I be honest with you though? I I'm slightly leaning towards, and if it wasn't for New Jersey's need for a center, I would slightly almost want to favor Capococco at this point. No. I don't know. Wrong. I don't know. I I've watched this kid and just his size and possession numbers. Here's here's why. So good. This is what I'm gonna say. Is that when there's a guy who's been at number one like he's been the number one de facto number one for this draft. People have thought that he'd be the number one pick. I remember reading about him when he was fourteen years old. People saying this guy's going to be good. He's like fifteen. This guy's going to be really good. Sure, he might be a, the top pick in the draft. So I mean, he's people have known about him for a long time. So people have been watching him very, very closely, especially these last two years. I don't think that KK has gotten the same level of exposure and the same level of scrutiny to his game. So I think at this point, he's just been up at the top for so long that there's something in us that like, what if there's someone else? And and I just, I think that Jack Hughes is phenomenal and he, he's going to be such a good player in this league that I won't disagree. It it is going to be great. It is. It it is so crucial that New Jersey takes a center. It is. And that's why I do think he'll still go number one, but you know, if I mean, come on, unless you think that you're going to lose Tyler Taylor Hall. That's true. If you think Taylor Hall might run, but see, even then, but getting a guy like that, you're like, hey, Taylor, you hang around a little bit. Guess what? You get to play with Jack Hughes. So, I mean, I don't think he's mad about playing with Heisher. No, I wouldn't be either. So Heisher's fine. I don't have a problem with him. I don't know if he's a a true number one, but still, he's a he's a good, you know, like band aid at the moment. I think he's a number one. I think he's a number one. Do you think? I think long term, he's a number one. Long term. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he. I. 
he's already very good defensively too. So yes, I mean, yes, absolutely. Let's say he, let's say he, not not stylistically, but let's say he ends up being a guy like a Ryan Johansson or a Ryan O'Reilly, where yeah, he's a number one. They they are number one centers, but they are not number one centers that you know you're production gonna, wise in, in terms of like is he going to win an Art Ross Trophy? No, he's not that guy. Jack Hughes could, Kako could. These two guys, this is a much better draft. Yeah. Poor Nolan Patrick. <laughs> I hope oh, he's still. Yeah. I hope he ends up being a decent player. He'll be a number three center. I can't. I can't not think about him when in his rookie season at training camp when he had that rash on his face. <laughs> that is how I think about him every single time I hear his name. Uh, every Nolan time I hear Patrick. Taylor Hall's name, I always think about that giant cut he got on his forehead from the skate. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of mutilation. Mutilation. Well, hopefully uh, we see some more mutilation in game three. <laughs> I mean, the Dallas, nope, St. Yeah, Louis. I Blues am loving the hard hitting so far at yes, these yes. finals, which they is great. They are blowing each other up, and it is a lot of fun. Uh, game three, Saturday, we'll be watching, and uh, we'll we'll be back next week to talk about game three and jump into some game four predictions, and uh, we'll start moving towards analyzing some of these uh, potential draft picks and where your team might go from here. We are we're getting to the fun part. The pre-draft episodes are some of my favorite episodes to do because there Dude, are all right. so much that can happen and I, I think that this year is maybe going to be one of the wildest years we've ever seen at the draft. Yeah, I might agree with you. Not not so much for the actual like players I get picked, but for the amount of trades I the think trades. could happen. Yeah. Because of because of how much all salaries these- are about to just explode for high-end players dude these there's younger never guys been so many quality rfas i've never seen yeah. at the market at the yeah. same time so it's i mean i think what it does is it shows how good the league is getting because all these teams drafted these guys they're all around the same age and they're all about to get paid because they're all freaking good right so it's it's just a youth explosion in the nhl it's very fun uh you know i think back to early 2000s when it was like Who's going to be the next Steve Eiserman and Joe Sackett? Because there's not much right now in terms of offense. There were some good defensemen, and uh, and certainly that's Sidney Crosby was definitely the the beginning of that new wave of player. But right, we'll uh, we'll see. Okay, well that is our show. We uh, we'll chat with you on Twitter at OT Hockey Talk. We'll talk to you. Next week.